0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks Podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host
1: Filippo Silva. And welcome to the Tactical Yanks Podcast. Hopefully, you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. I am Filippo Silva and I'm joined here today by Pete. And Pete, there's a lot to talk about today.
0: Yeah, we had an exciting weekend. Yunus Musa was probably the star of the weekend for sure. Lighting up La Liga. I watched your uh, Americans Abroad video. Great video as always, but he was definitely player of the weekend, right? From a USMNT perspective.
1: Yeah, and I hope he made your team of the week. I wasn't able to watch it. Yet, oh, man, I, I had
0: him was. on the bench because LeJet got two assists for Dallas. <laughs> or because he wasn't ready to commit. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we have a lot to talk about with Eunice Musa today. Yeah. Some, interesting, some interesting comments being peddled today about why Musa didn't play in the Nations League, and we thought we should discuss it.
1: Yeah, so everyone, we're not really going to talk about all the Americans Abroad's news. If you want that, there's two episodes on YouTube from both of us. One, mine, that's the recap, the U.S. Men's National Team Abroad, and one from Pete, that's a team of the week. If you watch those two episodes, you're honestly going to get all the information you need in regards to performances of how the Americans did abroad. And even in MLS, because Pete's video also has MLS players. But today, we're essentially going to talk about Yunus Musa's conspiracy theory. You're going to find out very soon what it is. We'll explain it. Um, And about his role with the national team, we can talk about that too. Because some people are now saying he is our biggest prospect. He is a locked-in starter, which there is a lot of truth to that, to be quite honest. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's not the absolute truth. And then towards the end of the podcast, we have two Euro topics. And essentially, we're going to talk about Man Man United pretty much reviving themselves and looking much better. We'll figure it out. We'll talk about if it's just a one-time thing or they're actually figuring it out. And me and Pete will discuss which one is the greatest Italian club of all time. Because I know some people got angry when I said AC Milan. And we're going to find out if Pete agrees with me or not very soon. And if he
0: does, we'll put our arguments out there. But Pete, you know, can Musa. I can I just add one more real quick? I'd love to talk yes. a little bit about Gabriel Slonina, who's been really good for Chicago Fire, and whether – some people are saying he should go to the World Cup this year. And just I want to talk about that, but we can put it at the end. Okay.
1: Uh, after the Euros, Euro Clubs, we'll talk about Gaga Slonina towards the end of the podcast as well. We'll add that. I personally didn't watch his game this weekend, but I do have my opinion on it as well. Yeah. Uh, not, not on the game, but on the player. So yeah. So why don't we get started with Eunice Musa? Uh, first and foremost, before we talk about the conspiracy theory, his role in the national team, he had, in my opinion, his best performance with the Valencia Jersey I've ever seen. He actually dictated the midfield, got two very nice assists, right? They weren't crap assists. He literally gave his teammates the goal for the most part. I would say he played 70 to 80% of a role in both goals. Uh, the first one being a nice chip over the center back. It was a very Pirlo like assist, not saying he is Pirlo guys, but, it was a very, like, deep-lying playmaker sort of assist. And he had one heck of a performance. He impressed. And Greg Burhalter was also on the stands watching it. Definitely impressed. And hopefully Greg paid for Yunus Musa's dinner. I would hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't just the two assists. He was very active throughout the game. He had a very good cross that a teammate should have actually scored on. He was constantly, you know, beating players in midfield. Very physical, too, actually. Winning a lot of duels. Won a ton of duels dominated, honestly, it was it almost played as their 10 and just dominated that midfield, you know, and Hitafe is, they're, I mean, they're a La Liga team. They're not a terrible team, but this follows up on his 30 yard banger against Atletico Madrid in midweek, which although it was not allowed, it wasn't his fault. It's not like he fouled somebody and then scored the goal. It was a foul in the buildup. The referee waved play on and said, go, and then eventually called it back. But it was a beautiful, beautiful goal against a top, top team. So mm-hmm. a great week for Eunice.
1: Yeah. And what we want to see from him, that is consistency, right? Because the first two seasons of his career and even with the, the men's national team, right? The United States, he's shown amazing flashes of talent, right? We've seen the talent there and we're like, this kid is good. As long as he can do that consistently, that's a whole different level, but he hasn't done it consistently. And, and we're going to find out very soon. It seems like he has two good games in a row Right. The first few games of the season weren't very good, but these last two were very good. So keep an eye on Yunus Musa. And it looks like Gattuso, the Italian legend, really likes the American. But what do you want me to go through the conspiracy now? OK, so Markel Santi on Twitter, which is a Twitter account that has been very good with his sources in the past, too. I'm not questioning his sources on this tweet. Uh, and you guys should even go look on his Twitter. It's at Su Saeta. Is that how you say it, Pete? S- yeah, I think so. S U S A E T A. You guys can go follow or check his Twitter account if you'd like. I'm going to read his tweet of what he's talking about. I'll quote him and then we're going to give our thoughts on this this theory. I'm saying conspiracy theory because again, he's saying one thing with his sources, but Greg Berhalter and Yunus Musa has said otherwise. So, could he be right? Sure, but that's not really what the two main guys of this story have said. So, what he said is Every once in a while, I run across a comment about how dumb it was for Greg to not play Musa in Nations League, which in my opinion, it was dumb, by the way. But here in my understanding of the decision, I cannot verify if it's true. So, yeah, he did make sure that he can't confirm that is true. That is fair. But I have heard it from a couple people I trust and I believe this. So he confirmed that he doesn't know if it's true or not, but he does trust the people that have told him this. First, Greg does not guarantee spots to recruit dual nationals. Klinsman did that, and it tore the locker room apart. A few players and agents have tried to get him to guarantee spots, but, it, but he will not do it. Uh, I hope that's true, right, Pete, in that part? And I think that part is fair. It looks like Greg- Yeah, I think fair. that's very
0: true if you look at yeah. Berhalter. He invites them, come to our camp, see what we do, be a part of it, and then make your decision. He doesn't promise anyone anything.
1: Yeah, he doesn't do the, the Mexican Federation style. That is true. Now, yeah. his third tweet of this thread was He wants players who want to be on the team. Just as importantly, he wants his team to know that their teammates really want him to be there. It is a core of the culture Burhalter is creating, and it is essential in understanding how he recruited Musa. Uh, yeah, I think so far the evidence points to that being true as well. And then he goes Before he called up Eunice Musa, Greg informed Eunice that playing in the Nations League would permanently cap tie him in the United States, which uh, now I'm just going to give my opinion here, real quick. I'm pretty sure Eunice Musa knew that, right? It's a big decision in his career. His agent was very involved with the process. So I'm pretty sure Musa knew that, regardless of Greg saying it. Yeah. He goes on to add Greg wanted Musa to come to camp to be a part of the team, but told him he wanted to be 100% sure before making a lifelong decision. So he told Musa that he would come, but would not play in Nations League, and Junis Musa agreed. We know how Nations League went. We know that Musa would have had a huge help against Honduras and Mexico. I fully agree with that. I think he would have been very helpful in those two games. But Greg stuck to his guns, and I admire Greg for it. That's not me saying. That's Markel. Just to finish up what he said, um, he also said Musa played in the next game against Costa Rica and showed his quality. That is true. Greg asked him how he felt about the program at the end of camp and Musa was ready to commit. So the United States has 100% committed the player that his teammates can trust and there and are there and is there for the right reasons. And then Markel went on to add in his opinion, if this is how it went, it is a masterclass in both recruiting and team building from Greg Berhalter. So can I, before I give your, your opinion real quick, can I just debunk one thing here real quick? Yeah. First thing, He says that he, so this is what Santi said. So Musa played in the camp and then he went on to commit after. That is not true because Eunice Musa had committed way before Nations League. I believe in March or April that year, and Nations League was in June. There was a whole video in U.S. soccer of him committing to the U.S. men's national team. He also had been before in two camps, right? The first one after the pandemic, not after the
0: pandemic, after the lockdown. The November camp. I think it was just one camp.
1: No, no, he was in this, the one after, um, if I'm not well, Switzerland
0: was during the Nations League. It was the same camp. Uh, no, no. The January he, camp, he wasn't there because he was with Valencia. No,
1: he was in November, and then he was in the March camp against Jamaica and Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah, that's right. So
0: that's, you're right. That was two yeah. camps then. Yeah,
1: he was already in two cam- and he committed, I believe, it was, either, March.
0: it was either during that camp or a little bit before, a little bit after it the March camp. It was before that camp. It was before exactly. that camp that U.S. soccer announced it because then he was called up into that camp. Exactly. So
1: that doesn't make any sense. And then we went on to Nations League where we played Switzerland, right? And we played before Nations League, we played Switzerland. Yunus Musa played. And then we played Honduras, Mexico. He was on the bench and then Costa Rica. So he was already committed to the national team. He made the whole video committing. Okay, guys. So yeah. that's the first thing to debunk. The second thing I want to debunk before you give your opinion, because and you also t- tell us what Musa himself said and Berhalter, yeah. is some people were saying that he played... Legit Jackson Ewell and Kelna Costa over Eunice Musa and not gave any minutes because Eunice Musa wasn't fully fit. He was like coming back from an injury, which is BS. He yeah. was available for 36 games out of 38 for Valencia and La Liga that season. He was available for the last few games. He played against Switzerland a couple of days before Nations League and then he played yeah. seven minutes plus against Costa Rica. He was perfectly fine in terms of fitness. Yeah. That is not an excuse. He was also on the bench on Nations League, so he technically was available to come in at any time. If you're yeah. not going to play a player, if you know you're not going to play him, you don't even
0: bring him to the bench. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, this it's it's honestly it's just not true. I mean, he had also five caps with the U.S., two camps, like you said, plenty of time to get to know his teammates. Um, you know, he'd been in several camps, so this idea that he was not ready to commit or that he wasn't even sure if he wanted to commit. It's just not true. I don't look real quick on Markel Santi. He's a former Nike executive. He, he was the Nike liaison to U.S. soccer during the Bob Bradley era. So when he talks about his sources, he probably has sources within U.S. soccer. But what a U.S. soccer somebody tells him as a way of probably protecting Greg and just saying, oh, no, no, it wasn't about that. It was about I just don't think that's true because and we'll talk about this real quick. Both Eunice Musa and Greg Burhalter debunked this entire theory. You know, Eunice, first of all, Greg Berhalter after the game, he was quizzed on, he was quizzed on, you know, why Eunice Musa didn't play. And this is exactly what Greg Berhalter said. Uh, I actually have it pulled up here. This is from an article, uh, on SI. Okay. And Greg basically said, yeah, for us, it was a tactical decision that he didn't play. He's a big part of what we do in these particular games. We opted for something different. So that doesn't sound at all like Greg Burhalter was just wanting him to commit and get used to the group. It was very clear that it was a tactical decision. Just a reminder, we started both Jackson Yule and Sebastian Legette against Honduras, where we created nothing in that semifinal, right? Josh Sargent had to rescue our asses with a, a goal line header when Zach Steffen whiffed on a ball, and then PFOC had to come on and rescue us, or there may not have been a Nations League final. And then in the Nations League final, Kellen Acosta started in midfield with Weston McKinney, and we went sort of a 3-4-3 situation there. Yunus Musa didn't play a single minute. We might not even have been in the Nations League final. And to me, it's bizarre that Greg didn't want to use him. And then Eunice Musa confirmed this on the Orange Slices podcast, right? He said, yeah, I talked to Greg. I wanted to play. He made that very clear. He said, I wanted to play in Nations League, but Greg felt that I wasn't ready and that it was a tactical decision. So both Greg Berhalter and Eunice Musa debunked this theory completely that he was not committed or that Greg wanted him to feel out the camp first. And for me, those are greater sources than whatever sources this guy has. So I just don't, I don't buy this at all. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I think it's not just them talking, right? Because sure, there's like, for example, Greg and John Brooks, there's definitely something going on there and they both deny it. Uh, so people could counter, counter us with that. But the problem is John Brooks is actually not called into the national team. If Eunice Musa was not to play, if the goal of Greg was to not play Eunice Musa, what he should have done is not brought Musa to waste a bench spot. And by waste, I don't mean because of his quality. It's just he had no intention of playing him. You don't waste the spot because you never know. A player can get injured in the warm-up, can be a red card. Tactically, you might need. Why would you waste a bench spot with a player you're not willing to play? And again, Yunis Musa had already committed to the national team. He doesn't commit yeah. after nations, like, guys. That's all it's it's all there. It, it, it's like it's yeah. so, so I'm not questioning the thing here that I want to make clear is we're not questioning Santi because he's probably just saying what they told him. Yeah, he's not yeah. making anything up. They told him that, and he believes these people because they're probably friends or former co workers, like you said, or people he's worked with. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's true. And and sure, maybe Greg Berhalter could come out tomorrow and say that's what happened. Then we'll be happy to do it. I, I'm not saying, I, I don't think Pete is, and I'm not for sure. I am not putting my opinion out there because I have any inside information. I am literally just basing
0: it off the information that is publicly out there. That's yeah, all Greg Berhalter is. and Eunice Musa both said something different. Musa had already committed. He'd already been in three camps. So your two camps, the, that was the third camp he was in. So there's just no, there's no data point that indicates that any of this is true.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I think, I think that's all we had to talk about in regards to the conspiracy theory of Eunice Musa. I think it was really just a bad decision from Greg, regardless of the bad decision. We did still win um, yeah. Nations League. So we're not questioning that part. Sure. There's a I mean, l- I'm questioning
0: it a little bit because just because we won, it doesn't mean he shouldn't have played Eunice Musa.
1: No, like, no, no, no. We're not end, questioning
0: we, the results that I meant. Like, people are going to go, but we won. Well, yeah, we won. We're not arguing that. We, we know that. We <laughs> did win, but you can still question decisions when you win, right? That game against Honduras, I thought we really could have used Yunus Musa, Jackson, Yule, and LeJet were terrible in that game, you know? And, and thankfully, Jordan Pefock came on and saved us. But there might not have been a Nations League final if he hadn't done that. And I, I think we could have used Yunus Musa in the Nations League.
1: I thought Sargent's save was probably
0: the biggest thing in the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Sergeant Save was another big one that saved our asses. Yeah. His, but he doesn't get enough get enough credit for his work rate attack for his defensive no. work rate.
1: If Ariola, if Ariola had saved that ball, he would have That's been all be hearing about. Well, he would have been locked in until 2026 because of that. Yeah.
0: Save. <laughs> like we need him there. But yeah. so talking about Eunice Musa while we're on this, you know, this summer I think we were talking about who should start in midfield. Um, and I think both you and I, a couple people asked me this on Twitter at least. They said, You didn't want Musa to start for the US. Is he a locked in starter now? Um, I still say no. <laughs> well, actually, right now, because Gio Reyna is injured, then probably yes. Probably no, not, not. Wait, wait. Reyna's not injured. coming back, you mean, right? Coming back from injury, but he's not fully fit. So, I, you know, if I had a game tomorrow, I probably wouldn't start Gio Reyna. Okay. Yeah. I would start Eunice Musa. But the questions about Eunice Musa, and I touched a little bit about this on the, um, you know the team of the week video is that there's two two questions with Yunus Musa. One is his end product, right? This is the first time we've seen him contribute to a goal or an assist for Valencia in months. And he has zero goals and zero assists for the US. The lack of end product has always been a little worrying with Yunus Musa. Uh, the second thing is he still has a tendency to disappear in games. I mean, even this season in Valencia, I did a live watch along for the opening game and he just has a tendency to disappear, and that's okay. He's 19; it's understandable, right? Sometimes that happens. Hopefully, this gives him confidence, and we start seeing more consistent performances from Musa from now on. But I mean, this is a good problem to have. If Musa continues to be consistent like this, both with being dominant in La Liga, right, top three league in the world, easily, and you know, adding end product, then yeah, 100, he's a locked-in starter. If anything, if Wes is not performing, he might take Wes's spot. Right. Or if Giorena is not quite fit, that's fine. Then you start the MMA midfield. But it's not like v- Musa's been doing this all along, right? We're starting to see signs of who Eunice Musa can be. And it's great to see it. My opinion is if a fully fit Giorena is there, Giorena is a locked in starter in midfield for me. I don't know if Greg feels the same way, but for me, Giorena is in midfield. And then Musa probably has to fight with McKenney. If McKinney's not in form or he's whatever, not performing as he's not really right now for Juve, but he's also just coming back from an injury. The thing about soccer is things can change very quickly, right? A week from now, if Reyna scores a golazo, the whole whole discussion point will change, right? So people just tend to go week by week. What I want to see is this is great for Musa. I love it. I want to see more of this more consistently. I'm not saying he has to perform like this in every game, but to be more consistently involved, to be more of a regular contributor to the end product.
1: Well, we also got to look into the options we have to play as the dual eights, right? Not not the six. The six is Tyler Adams' spot to lose. Yeah. But the the, the central midfield, you have Weston McKennie, Eunice Musa, Brendan Aronson can play there, and Greg did play him, and he did well in one game and not so good on the other one. Giovanni Reyna can pay the, play there, and then Luca Del Torre. Out of these five, I think Luca de la Torre is the one that's a little bit out of the starting 11. He's more of a depth piece. But when you look into it, Reina, when he played for Dortmund last game, they played him as the 10, the attacking midfielder. So he is playing central. They do see him as the Royce replacement. That's been confirmed by many different play- people from Germany. Uh, Manuel Veth also confirmed it for me. Uh, so he is. He can play the eight as well. So when you look at the options, Weston, Musa, Aronson, and Reina, the talent gap right there is minimal. They're all extremely talented, playing at the highest level. So who do you start? It depends on many different variables, like the the opponent you're going to face. It also depends on the form of each one, injuries. So first things first, when you have Weston and Eunice Musa in the midfield, that is definitely not our best midfield when you're playing a low block. I do think that is the right, best... Against move. the low block. Against the low block. Sorry, yeah. yes, against the low block, right? You want players that can pick a lock, which is not really... I know Yunus Musa did that against Valencia, but there's no evidence he can do it on a consistent basis, even though yeah. uh, while Brendan Aronson and, and Giovanni Reyna, we've seen them do more often. It's more of their game, right? Yeah. Playing the 10, like the playmaker. Uh, Musa is not really the playmaker. He's more of like a box-to-box midfielder, just like Weston, right? Just like Weston, but a little bit different. A little bit different than Weston. I think he's better than Weston on the ball. Uh, Also better development out of the academy that he came from, Arsenal. But it really depends on the opponent you're going to face of who you're going to start. It's great to have this problem, but no, he's not a locked-in start. It's not a player that, for example, Christian Pulisic on the wing right now, no matter how he's doing, he still is a player that, hey, you got to start him on the wing right now. you got to persist on him a little bit. Just like we had players in the past like Lyndon Donovan that if he was not at his best, he was our guy to play. Um, so he's not a locked in starter right now. If we had a game, is Yunus Musa starter today? Yeah, I would start him today for sure. Also, we never I at least me, and I don't think you did. We never said Yunus Musa was a backup. We always said he's not a locked in starter, and he still isn't a locked in starter. Yeah, he still isn't. And and it was one amazing performance. He needs to do it consistently. Uh Brandon Aronson's doing it consistently, not consistently, he struggled in one game or another, but he's doing it in the Premier League too. Is he yeah. a locked in starter? And then Waya comes a national team. How many locked-in starters we have in the US men's national team fan base mindset here? Uh, you can rotate. Like you see, uh, any of these players can start. I just listed five of them. I think De La Torre is a depth piece, depth piece, but yeah. West McKenney, Eunice Musa, Giovanni Reyna, Brendan Aronson, any of them can start in the eight. For me, the ideal midfield is having Tyler and then Weston is and Musa battling for one eight. And then Brendan yeah. and Reyna battling for the other because I think these three combined complement each other. You have Tyler and a destroyer, you have Moose and McKinney as a box to box, and you have a more of a playmaker like Reyna and Aronson. My opinion on it, but I'm also fine with the MMA midfield,
0: depending on who we face. If you're going to play, in I transition- think if you're going more defensive, you could either go MMA, like let's say you're playing mm-hmm. England, or you could put MMA Aronson. <laughs> you know, yeah. what I mean? like Aronson defensively is probably better than Geo. But I think that Gio is probably better in attack. Again, I help with Gio.
1: Aronson might be better than than Musa and Weston defensively too. More disciplined, also.
0: Yeah, and if you're pressing, definitely you need you want Aronson in that system too. You know. Yeah. So again, it's
1: it's not. No one said that Musa is not a starter. We said he's not a locked in starter. Like today, to me, today to me, based on the form of all our players, Giovanni Reyna still injured, not injured, but coming back. Weston not at his best, still looking a little bit rusty. Yeah, Eunice Musa is the star right there with Tyler. And then the third one is up for grabs. But like Pete said, you go to October and then Gio is starting for Dortmund, gets a goal here, an assist. All of a sudden, Gio Reyna has to start. Musa is yeah. struggling with Valencia. And, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened in a couple of weeks. And it, it might.
0: This um, is the thing about young players too. There's ups and downs, right? If you're 19 years old, especially if you're playing at a high level, you're not going to be a 10 out of 10 performance in every game. I mean, even if you're a regular, you don't get a 10 out of 10 performance, even if you're 29 years old, but you're rarely, I mean, I expect Musa to continue to show ups and downs. Like it would not surprise me at all. If Musa has a me- mediocre game for Valencia next week, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not hoping for it, but it wouldn't surprise me because he's 19 years old, you know? So, I mean, even with Weston, there was a time where everyone, Weston's locked in starter. Now he's struggling coming. He did just also come back from a dislocated shoulder, right? you know, two weeks ago. So, you know, maybe he's not quite fully fit or he's not in rhythm. Sometimes it's being in rhythm that really helps in flow. We see this a lot with Christian Pulisic. When you give him a run of games in his best position, he starts to develop a rhythm and he becomes streaky. So I I don't get too excited about week to week. Oh, this, that, who's this one, who's that one? You know what I mean? Because people's opinions tend to change like week by week, depending on what happened on the weekend. I try to take a bit of more of a bird's eye view of the situation. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are our thoughts on the Yunus Musa conspiracy theory. Yunus Musa's wrote the national team and his amazing performance over the weekend versus Jetafi. So about the conspiracy theory, before we close that topic, we gave you the information of what Greg said when he committed, what Yunus Musa said. We gave the information that Santi put out from his sources. So we're not telling you the truth. You come up with your own conclusion. Make up your own mind. Yeah. Yeah. You're all smart people. It's honestly also irrelevant at this point. Because kind of yeah, it kind of yeah, it kind of is because now Greg is playing Yunus Musa, right? He is playing Yunus Musa. Uh, Yunus Musa did get recruited, and we won the Nation League. So right now it's sort of irrelevant, but it's important also to point out to not not over exaggerate and think that Greg Berhalter is this like genius that thinks like two years ahead. It's like relax. But anyhow, (laughs) quick word from our sponsor. And Pete, we have two sponsors for the podcast because. We need more money to buy more Bitcoin. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm investing in NFTs. <laughs> no, but hey, hey if anyone is, I, I have nothing against it. But football fans, the first Sunday of the NFL season is here and DraftKings Sportsbooks, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. So what you have to do is download DraftKings Sportsbook app now, if you haven't, and use the promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place $5 bet this Sunday. That's the code TBPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook. And thank you very much, DraftKings, for sponsoring this podcast, even though we rarely watch football unless it is, well, you know, unless it's in Europe. Right, Pete? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the other sponsor, Pete, we have another sponsor, believe it or not, and that is Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Yes. Lately, we've been listening a lot to the Tactical Yanks podcast, and obviously we think it's great. One reason it's great to listen to is Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Right now, and... Right now, you can go buy Raycon at raycon.com slash T-B-P-N. So the same code. Go to raycon.com slash T-B-P-N. The same code you use on DraftKings today to get 15% off on your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash T-B-P-N to save 15% off and just buy Raycon right now. Thank you very much, DraftKings. Thank you very much, Raycon, for sponsoring this podcast and i apologize to you
0: for having to listen to all that and pete we're back uh yeah i might check them out i'm always looking for good earbuds especially because during the world cup i'm gonna have to wake up early in the morning to watch the games and i have i mean a girlfriend and roommate so i might have to do the bluetooth thing where if i want to put the audio on i'll need to like wear earbuds or headphones or something to hear the audio i mean raycon is pretty good actually they
1: have like a 32 hour battery life
0: and i'm not not this
1: is not even the ad anymore i'm just talking about it (laughs) what is our next topic today? So the next topic is Man United, because we talked about how much of a mess they were for the first two games of the season. But they they turned it around a little bit lately. They look more like a team. They're looking a lot better. Um, Ten Hag definitely made some changes to the team. Uh, One of them was Cristiano Ronaldo clearly is a backup at this point. Looks yeah. like he's a bench player. Marcus Rashford played a lot better than he has has had in the past. Harry Maguire is on the bench. That definitely helps United, but it doesn't yeah. help the the United States because we don't know if he'll start in the World Cup, and we kind of needed that. Um, they signed Anthony, which against Arsenal, he was timid. Excellent. No, he was good in the game, but I uh, but I meant like timid in the sense of he's usually those players that likes to take on defenders, but he wasn't trying that as much. He was like efficient got the ball, passed it quickly, no didn't lose possession many times and scored a goal on his debut 35 minutes into the game with a nice finish against Ramsdale. Uh but overall are Man United turning things around? Is Man United back or is it just like a little we need to
0: get I think we need to get more games, don't we? Yeah, we definitely need to get more games, but I think Ten Hag came into Man United a little bit too timid. Right? He came into a disaster team. And he decided not to shake things up right away, right? right. Maguire should never have been the captain. He shouldn't be on, even be on the field. Ronaldo still had too much power in that dressing room. And it felt like he was deferring a little bit too much to some of those big names. And I think after the first two games, he realized, if, if I'm going to be successful here, I need to act now. And I need to implement what I want. So Maguire, you're out. You're not, not only not the captain, you're on the bench. Ronaldo, you're on the bench. This is my team. I'm going to do it my way. You guys haven't performed in the first two games of the season, so get out. And what that essentially did was it was kind of an alpha male move, right? He said, no, this is my team. I'm the coach. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the captain. I don't care. If you're not performing, if you're not playing the way I think you should, you're going to be on the bench. And I think that actually brought everybody else together because there was rumors, right, about factions within the dressing room. There's Ronaldo's factions. There's McGuire's factions. There's all these different, like, cliques. And essentially, he just cleared the board with his arm. You know, like an old movie where the, the bad guy or the good guy just comes in and swipes the board. That's what Ten Hag did. And it seems to be paying off results, beating Arsenal and Liverpool. Huge results. Yeah, I was going to say four
1: wins in a row, and two of those opponents were Liverpool and Arsenal, and Arsenal has been very good this season. You look into the Premier League table right now, just to update everyone, Arsenal leads the league with 15 points, five wins in six games. The second place team is Man City, and Man City has 14 points, they're still undefeated, followed by Tottenham, that has the same amount of points as, as Man City, also still undefeated in the league. Then Brighton is in 4th, which is a pleasant surprise. The Ecuadorians in Brighton has been have been fantastic, right Pervis is stupid and Caicedo, probably going to leave next season. And then Man United is right there in 5th, 5th place with 12 points ahead of Chelsea that is in 6th with 10 points and Liverpool that is in 7th with 9. And then we have our beloved Leeds United in ninth place with eight points which if they could keep that spot we'll be happy (laughs) they're not going to keep that spot no i just hope they stay between 12 and 14 i'll be happy with that honestly Uh, that would
0: be very good for them at this point
1: yeah and then you look at the relegation zone just to add that i'm not going to go through the entire table Leicester, which is disappointing they're in last place with one point in six games. Nottingham Forest is in second to last with four points in six games, and they spent a lot of money. West Ham is one that I don't get. They're also in the relegation zone with four points, and West Ham has a very good team. I think West Ham will bounce back there. They've also had to play a lot of tough opponents. Yeah, so West Ham might come out very soon. We could see Everton, Aston Villa, Palace. They're not looking to get Bournemouth come down. We'll, we'll keep you all updated in the Premier League, but I think that's all we had to say about the Premier League. But then, Pete, now you're going to have to take over the mic here. Which is the biggest Italian
0: club of all time? If you're, all, if you're talking about all time, it has to be Milan because it depends what you value. If you value Scudettos, which is the Serie A titles, then yeah, Juventus has more. And over the course of recent history, Juventus has more titles, right? There was a period from I think 2010 or 11 till about 2018 that it was all Juve every year, bam, 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 just like Bayern Munich and PSG. But yeah. how many? But how many Champions Leagues does Juve have compared to Milan? So I'm going to give you the exact numbers,
1: and you go back to that thought right there. So AC Milan has. Let me just double check so I don't say it wrong. AC Milan has seven Champions Leagues, okay? Seven They're Champions the second Leagues. highest after Real Madrid. I believe so. And then, it, does Barcelona have less? I think they have six. Hmm. But, but Five anyhow, or six. Anyhow, Juventus has only two Champions Leagues, so AC Milan has more than three times the amount of Champions League that Juve has. Now, on the other hand, the argument here is Juve has 36 Serie A's, or Scudettos, while AC Milan has only, not only, I mean, it's a lot, but 19, okay? Obviously, that has a lot to do with the fact that Juve won, what, nine in a row and opened that gap quite a bit after AC Milan was kind of screwed for a decade. And then you go to the Italian Cups, Pete. AC Milan has five. Juventus has 14. So I don't know about you, but what it looks like is domestically, we have a Juventus that has been more dominant, but... On a continental level, we have an AC Milan that's
0: unquestionably better. So what's the most high-profile club championship in the world? Champions League. Champions League. And it's 7-2, to Mm -hmm. right? It's not particularly close. You can win all the Scudettos you want. But at the end of the day, if you're talking about the biggest Italian club, for me, the club that has seven Champions League versus the clubs that has two Champions League is going to be the bigger club.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, they might be
0: the biggest club in Italy you know, in terms of Serie A titles, I guess. But for me, Champions League outweighs Serie A, Scudetos. you know. So for me, it has to be AC Milan. Although Juve is, of course, very close in terms of size and history. They both have, you know, amazing players that played for them for a long, long time. I mean, you know, Pirlo at at Juve, uh, so many, many players. Pirlo for both. Played. Yeah, he did play for both. Edgar Davids um as well for, you know, Juve, you know, Gianluigi Buffon, for me, the best goalkeeper of all time.
1: George Wea um, for AC Milan.
0: Yeah, they, but they had George Weah. They had Paolo Maldini. They had Pippo Inzaghi. Juve had, you know, Del Piero. They both of them had amazing players playing for them. Just even, you know, Bonucci and um, shit. He plays for LAFC now. Uh, Chiellini, I'm sorry. Chiellini and Bonucci for a long time. Do you want, you want a list of
1: a few players here?
0: Want me to mention? Yeah, yeah, sure. Bring them up.
1: So for AC Milan, I'll give you some legendary players that played there. Alessandro Nesta, Andrea Pirlo, Carlo Ancelotti played for AC Milan, Maldini, Seedorf, Kaká, David Beckham played a little bit for AC Milan during Gerard Gattuso, Baresi played for AC Milan as well, Uh, Gida, the goalkeeper from Brazil, also played there, Rudi Gulic played for AC Milan. Yeah. So, Yeah. some pretty heavy names there, and if you go back, Marco van Basten, and even Ronaldo phenomenon late in his career did play a little bit for AC Milan. Shevchenko, George Weah. Now, when you go to Juventus, a couple names that people will remember for sure: Zinedine Zidane, yeah, before he moved to 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 um, Real Madrid. Cristiano Ronaldo, most recently, uh, Pavel Nedved, Gianluigi Buffon, yeah. David Trezeguet, Edgar Davids. Uh, so these are clubs that have had legends play for. I do think personally that AC Milan had a bit more legends to play for them. Uh, but it's kind of hard to argue. It's kind of like arguing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to say. It's like, who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? I have my yeah. opinion on it, but it's kind of like they're so great, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You. But last but not least, you're going to close this because you want to talk about Gabriel Slonina.
0: Yeah. It's our goal. It's really our goalkeeping situation. And because I did, you know, the last two weeks I did, by the way, guys, if you new series on the 11 Yanks channel team of the week, the goalkeeper one has been very hard because Zach Stefan is injured again. And even when he's playing, he's not been very good. Uh, Ethan Horvath is doing fine at Luton. He's not like amazing, but he's, he's competent. He's a competent goalkeeper for them. Matt Turner is not playing Sean Johnson. I don't know if people know this, but he's been awful for New York recently in midweek. He played against DC United. They lost two one. He was culpable on both goals. Very simple goals. To be honest, one was across right across the six yard box that came across him. All he had to do was stick his foot out and clear it. And he just stood there and the guy scored. It was crazy. And then the header right at him that he sort of bundled into his net for DC's winning goal this week conceded three goals to new England revolution. Um, Neither, none of them were, quote-unquote, his fault, but his positioning on the first goal was poor. It was very savable. It was actually not far from the center of the goal. So, so then Gabriel Slonina, on the other hand, is balling out, in, at least in these last two games for Chicago. You know, in May and June, Slonina was not good. We saw him doing making a lot of very basic errors. Um, he has improved, and we're starting to see the Gaga Slonina that could be He's making amazing saves, nine saves in this last game against Columbus, which I think is a career record uh, for him. And for Chicago fire, I think he's the broke a record for the most amount of clean sheets in one season. Now, in the past, people have always said to me, well, Pete, Gaga Sunina, should he go to Qatar? And I've always said no, because we already have three goalkeepers. But the question is, is it changing now? Now, to play devil's advocate, Gagoslanina, despite his amazing performance against Columbus, still made some basic errors. They didn't get punished for, right? It's like he does spectacular things, but then there are some basic things that he's still not getting right. For example, Zellerayan shot from outside the box. It was a great, powerful shot, but it was straight at Slonina. And what you see top goalkeepers do in that situation is grab it into their chest, right? They just bend low and they take it into their chest and they hold it there. Instead, he te- you know he just palmed it out like this. He didn't even palm it over the bar or palm it out wide. He just stuck his hands out and it dropped right in front of him. And thankfully, one of his defenders was there to clear it. But the question is, if Zach Stefan is still injured and not performing, Matt Turner's not playing, who are the three goalkeepers that you bring to Qatar? And does Gaga Slonina have a case for that third spot?
1: I'm okay with him being the third spot. I just absolutely would not play him in Qatar.
0: That's... Oh, yeah, I don't think we should play him in Qatar.
1: I'm, I'm okay with bringing him because he is a future goalkeeper for the national team, most likely, if he reaches his potential. And you give him that experience of being in the World Cup, understanding how the environment is. He obviously won't play, but I wouldn't trust him yet to give him any minutes in the World Cup. Like, if I'm in doubt in the World Cup between Stefan, Turner, Horvath, I sort of give it to Turner because he has come up big for us. If I'm in doubt, uh, that's probably what I would do. I'm fine with him being the third goalkeeper because uh, – it's usually a position that you don't expect. They, they won't play. I, don't, I can't remember a third goalkeeper in World Cup history that has played. I don't remember. Uh, and I wouldn't want him to play, to be honest. But I would bring him there. I, I would be okay with that. But starting, no chance. If anyone's saying start, I'm against that.
0: Yeah, no, definitely not starting in Qatar. I don't think anybody, any reasonable person is saying that. But I do think he now has a case. And the other side of that coin is if he goes to the team in Qatar... That's prep preparing him for 2026 too, right? He now has experience of what it's like to be in a world cup at this point. Is Stefan even on your roster? Like I know Stefan doesn't start for you. Do you have him on the roster? If he's healthy, I think right now, maybe not. I don't know. It's, it's crazy to ask that question almost. Cause a year ago he was a locked in starter for us. What's crazy to me is if Greg starts him in Qatar, because it's been too long now. It isn't bad form for a few games or a few weeks or even a few months. It's honestly been a year or two of terrible form from Stefan. And he's injured again. And he's injured again. And the amount of trunk issues that he's had is very worrying. But even when he's playing, and this has gone all the way back to the Nations League of last year. Remember, we talked about that Josh Sargent header. That was Stefan's fault. Came off his line, whiffed on the ball, and it went into goal. And thankfully, Sargent you know, cleaned it up. But it's been 18 months of Stefan not being very good now for both club and country at what point do we just say sorry if you're not performing that's it you're out and do we have the luxury of saying that because of the lack of goalkeeper options honestly I've said this before but I'm disappointed that Stefan Fry hasn't gotten more of a chance because if you want reliability Stefan's Fry has been very reliable for Seattle for a very very long time and he's been you know USMNT eligible since 2017 so I'm actually a little surprised he hasn't gotten more looks I think because he's not very good with his feet that could be one thing people hold against him, but neither is Matt Turner.
1: So I think what needs to happen is during the September camp, Greg needs to play Turner quite a bit. The reason for that is we need to see how Turner looks without match Sharpness because he's not going to play. He's not playing for Arsenal and maybe he'll have one Europa League something. He'll play something for Arsenal maybe by then, but he definitely won't be match Sharp. So we need to see, because some goalkeepers are not affected by that. They go in and they play as if they're in peak form. We need to see if Matt Turner is the type of goalkeeper that if he is not playing, he still is at his peak form. If that's the case, at least we have one reliable shot stopper, which is
0: something. Yeah, and best. honestly, at this point, I don't care about his feet as much. I we You cannot do well in the World Cup without a reliable shot stopper, no. especially if you're not a big team, right? Because against England, we will be facing a lot of shots on goal. You, against most teams, to be honest, we will be facing shots on goal at the World Cup. And you need somebody who can pull out that amazing save out of nowhere to keep it at 1-0 or 0-0. Because the World Cup hinges on tiny moments. And look at Tim Howard. We could have been embarrassed by Belgium. Like, we were lucky to lose 2-1 in 2014. That could have been 7 or 8-1. We put up a fight
1: only because of him. Otherwise, it would have been ridiculous. We still, yeah. we, we had like that little hope of chance just because he kept us in the game somewhat. Um, But yeah, I think, yeah, I think that concludes the podcast here. We talked about everything we wanted for today. I want to thank you all very much for listening. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channels, Tactical Manager TV and 11 Yanks. And don't forget to drop a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and have a blessed week.